a lot of people think that you have to be a nerd, that you have a to be a special person to work in IT or in any other job. And the real answer is that you have to be passionate in order to go and research and find new things and find new problems and try to solve them. And it's a very creative process. Welcome to Startup Build, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and the startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolsfeld, our host is Dan Gold, and we're having conversations with tech leaders in our community about how they're working through the current global economic crisis and the larger implications on their sectors. Today we're talking with Pablo Listengart, founder and executive director of ComIT, a charity that's helping solve the tech labor gap by teaching the software development and soft skills that are needed by Canada's growing tech sector at no cost to the student. We talked with Pablo about his journey to start ComIT to help improve access to careers in tech in South America, and how he's grown their programs both in South America and now in eight Canadian cities. We also talked about how the COVID crisis has impacted the employment market, and how Pablo and ComIT are working to help give more people access to successful careers in tech, where talent is still in high demand. Welcome to Startup Bill. Startup Bill is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications. Hello and welcome to this episode of Startupville. Today with me, I'm very honoured to have Pablo Listengard with us from ComIT. Pablo, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for having me and good morning. So uh, let's start from a very obvious place. Tell me a little bit about ComIT and what ComIT does. Okay, so basically, Dan, I mean, Comity is a charity under CRA. It's an organization that I founded. I actually had this idea nine years ago back in South America, where I started the first charity, and then I moved here to Canada five, over five years ago and created the second charity uh, to help people uh, who are unemployed or underemployed and uh, to be trained in IT and to find, I mean, to help companies find the IT talent that they need, basically. Um, I've been doing this across eight cities in Canada. And uh, we help hundreds of people to find jobs and of course companies to find uh, the software developer and, and talent that they need. So what inspired you to do this? What was the driving factor to make you go, this is something that I need to satisfy the need of? Okay, so I mean, basically uh, let's go back many, many, many years ago. And when I was back in South America, uh, well, I have a computer science. I work for uh, big corporations, uh, medium-sized companies, uh, different uh, companies uh, in the country. And um, at one point, because I come from, from a public university where uh, we receive education for free, uh, and though we still have to pay for our books and all those kind of things, but at one point, I mean, we are shown that there are people who care about our education, about our future, and, and they help us get that degree. So basically, we kind of grow up with that in mind, with how can we give back to the society in a way. And um, when I was kind of developing my professional career, I, I, I mean, you have that choice of always going to develop a website for a charity or uh, develop a mobile application or whatever, try to help in that way. And then I thought that, well, though I wasn't, uh, I was a teacher at university, but then I, I quit, I decided to do other stuff, but I like teaching and I like the idea of helping others. 
then I decided, well, why not prepare people to participate, to be part of this industry uh, that we are very lucky to be in, you know? And there are many people that even though university is free or, or you have public university or whatever, they can't afford to uh, spend four, five, six years at university paying for the bus, uh, paying for their books. So at one point I, I understood, I saw that there, there were other issues that needed to be solved before they could even go to get formal education. So at one point we all think that, okay, you can get a loan or get some money and then go to university and then get a job. But for many people, uh, life doesn't work that way. You have to get that first job in order to pay for your studies. So I created these short courses that we kept adapting and modifying. I was a teacher. I, I was a teacher for three years and uh, I taught hundreds of, hundreds of people to learn how to code and, and learn everything that they needed to do a trainee uh, or entry-level job back there. And then, well, I decided, you know what? I want to do one course. And if I get someone's a job, then I'm done. You know, I've done my part with the society. So I ran that first pilot when I was a teacher. And then I got 10 graduates and none of them got jobs within two months. And I was like, well, you know what? Like, this feels good. And I liked it. Uh, and so I ran another course and I got 14 graduates and 12 got jobs. And so I kept doing it for free for three years until I came here to Canada. And suddenly it grew a lot. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, when you start when you start doing something from the heart and then you are solving an issue. And this is actually two issues because you are helping people and jobs and you're helping companies find the talent that they need. And companies don't pay anything to access that talent. So we are not a recruiting firm or anything. It's just like, okay, here you have hundreds of resumes. Like, just review them, give them a chance, and then maybe you will find the people that you need. And, well, it's been nine years, so I kept doing it. I have to salute you for this because of this reason. I always wanted to go and work in the theatre. I always wanted to be somewhere in entertainment in some way. You can't imagine that at all, I'm sure. But... Um, my parents said to me, whatever you do, before you make that decision, before you go down that, down that path, have a career, have something to fall back on, have a good skill or a good trade. And my father worked in computing in the 1960s at the time when computers were the size of a building and my phone here has 600 times the processing power of anything he ever dreamed of. And so I went into IT and then electronic servicing and computer electrical engineering. And I have to say, whether you're on the hardware side or more advantageously on the software side, um, it's a great career. It's not just a great career because you're doing something that is satisfying. The gratification from it is knowing that there are people out there that you can change how they work, uh, improve how they work, get them thinking in different ways, using technology to lighten the load so that they can then focus on the things that are important. And all that only happens when you are the one there with the core IT skills to be able to help them do that. I I did my um, a part of my IT career, my 
section of my career. I worked in um, uh, the medical area. So seeing the the day-to-day of the doctors and the nurses doing the jobs that they needed to do, but having the support and the infrastructure of a good IT system was really deeply meaningful for me. And uh, every time that we're out there uh, saluting our frontline workers, I always take a moment to also thank the people who make sure that the infrastructure doesn't crumble behind them. And that's a very important thing. So I'm slightly passionate about this. Uh, So you had the experience in teaching. You had the ability for instructional design. Uh, You had the students. You you basically proofed, proofed proved this as a concept uh, before moving to Canada. That step in Canada, uh, I don't know, what was your journey from, I'm going to come straight to Canada, I'm going to roll this out, or did you have to go and do something else first and then roll this out? Well, it was it was an internal struggle, to be honest, because, I mean, as a newcomer, when you arrive here, you don't have a support net, you know, a support network, you don't have... Um, you don't know anyone. You arrive here and maybe you know someone that you talked over email or something and, and people invite you to dinner to welcome you. Uh, but other than that, in order to create a program this big, then you have to start building a big network. You have to work a lot with, with companies for them to be open to receive resumes. You have to work to reach out to organizations to uh, for them to reach out to their clients like immigrant centers or un- like employment offices. So they are the ones who distribute our information. And, and when I arrived here, I mean, you, you try to focus on providing for your family, on uh, settling here, on, on having a good life. I, I arrived here with, uh, he was 10 months old, my, my son, my daughter was born here. Um, but my son was 10 months old. And so you start looking for daycares and for... Uh, a way of surviving and and all those kind of things. So I, I didn't want to to start. I, I arrived in 2015, early 2015, and then uh, I was talking with my wife several months later, and she was like, "Well, you know what? Like, there are many people like uh, like us, and there are many other people who are in in a worse situation with no savings or anything who can benefit from the same thing that you were doing back." Uh, in South America uh, and now you have the knowledge and you know how to make it you know happen uh, even though you don't have any network anyone, so you can make it happen and and so she was pushing me for over a year and a half and then she was pregnant with, with, my, with my daughter and I was like you know what I, I can't I don't know if I'm if I can deal with everything you know with the pregnancy with the new kid uh, with uh, with the one year old kid or two years old kid, and with this that I know because now I I, know I have the knowledge and everything I know that this is gonna grow way faster than in South America um, because when what I learned is that here in Canada if you do things well if you uh, work from the heart and everything then things happen you know and um, and. But she pushed me a lot. So I, I finally went to the company's office here in, in Manitoba and I registered uh, a nonprofit. And then I did all the paperwork myself to become a registered charity, 
which usually people pay to the lawyers, but uh, again, I didn't have any money, anything. I, I did everything by myself. And then I said, okay, where, where do I start? And I tried to send emails all across the prairies to different people, but nobody knew me. You know, you know again, like I, I, I was a newcomer, nobody knew me by then. And, and so nobody was answering my email. So I, I did what, I mean, the best I could, which was to reach out to Google Argentina, which was one of our donors back then. Uh, and then they introduced me to Google Canada. So uh, some people from Google in Kitchener, Waterloo and in Toronto, they invited me to an event, Go North, uh, back in 2016, I think it was. Uh, so I went, I, I paid for my flight. I traveled to Toronto. I went to this event and then when I arrived, I thought like, okay, this is going to be like a meetup, 40 people, 50 people. No, there were like 1,500 people. And everyone was looking at me and they were like, like you're from the prairies. What, what are you doing here? You know? Uh, and I was like, I, I don't know. Like I thought that I, I was going to come here and talk to some people from Google and find out a way of doing this. And uh, nobody was talking to me. So at one point I was really frustrated. I decided to go back, you know, take my flight back home and but then I say okay I'm gonna do a final effort I want to make a final effort so I, I saw Steve Woods guy from over there from uh, one uh, of the best people that I've met so far so I talked to Steve well he was actually presenting so I waited for him to present to come back uh, to get off stage so I said, hey, Mr. Woods, can I, can I work with you? I, I really want to tell you about something that I've been doing with Google back in South America. And he was like, yeah, why not? I mean, let's go for a walk, five minutes. I need to stretch my legs. So I walked with him for five, 10 minutes, and I told him about what we were doing back in South America. And he said, we can use what you're doing here. So um, I will introduce you to some people at Communitech. And he did, and then Communitech lent me space and I paid from my pocket to hire a person in Kitchener because of course I wasn't gonna teach three months over there in Kitchener and from there everything became like easier because with the with the success story uh, people from community tech introduced me to some people across the prairies and then I ran the first pilot in Winnipeg then I started in Saskatoon and then it grew and grew and grew so it was always about finding a way which wasn't easy but it was possible you know it was uh, knocking on doors for many months until things started happening that's basically how it was there is a core of belief within you that you wanted to see this through because you knew that it worked you'd proven it with what you'd done back home um, there's a, uh, the persistence, the, the, uh, attitude to stick at it and get it done, even after facing a negative experience of this isn't working, this isn't, maybe it's not right. The number of times that people go to events and they think that, go, that it's going to be one thing and it turns out to be something completely different and they come away and you ask them, oh, how was it? And they go, yeah, it was okay, but... And and you you gave it that final throw of the dice to be able to uh, give it a chance to not waste 
effectively the the airfare not to waste the time that you'd spent being there and i admire you for all of that i also uh i also moved over in 2015 at the beginning of 2015 i came over with a one and a four-year-old uh or three and a half year old and um i can tell you from my experience and our experiences whilst being similar are not the same i'm sure I can say that it's not easy um, and trying to establish roots, trying to build a network, trying to, uh, whether there's a sense of fitting in or contributing to society, it's not an easy thing that people need to appreciate. If you choose to move to a country, uh, invariably, it's what you're willing to give to that country to be a part of that society. And I see with what you're doing is a very large part of that. I was very fortunate. I uh, connected with a company whilst I was in the United Kingdom. And I came and I had at least the company as as a network already. Uh, but come with, you know, a few connections and make this difference. I, I salute you, sir. Here's the here's the question. When you look at what you're doing and how you're helping firms get IT support and how you're helping people get into the workplace or or to reskill as as uh, as economies change. COVID-19 is going to have one humdinger of an effect on the employment market. Um there are going to be a lot of people from maybe the retail space, maybe the leisure and tourism space who are in that position of going, I don't know what to do, but I need to earn money. Is there a certain aptitude that they need, a certain attitude that they need in your eyes to be able to apply themselves to the course and the program that you're doing to ensure that they have a greater chance of success rather than going, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get money? Yeah. Uh, I think that there is one thing that makes uh, a lot of difference, a big difference, and that's the the passion. I mean, how passionate people are into going into IT. So whenever we select people for our courses, we love to see if they have done the research. Like, okay, we ask them, what kind of job opening are you looking for? And you can tell if people are telling you, you know what, like I want to go into software development because... I don't know, I love to create new stuff. I love the creativity of the job. So they write because it's an open field for them to, to write whatever they want. And then you have other people who are telling you, you know what, I'm looking for administrative position or chef or whatever. I'm looking for any job. So you can tell that when people are really passionate about going into something, let's call it IT, let's call it professional, whatever, athlete, whatever, if you are passionate about what you want to do, then you're going to spend as much time as you can. Like when I'm opening your course, I, I, there is one slide when I, I, I try to make jokes and, and make it, you know, to uh, break the ice and everything, the first class. So I, I tell them, okay, so how many of you have kids? And so a few people raise their hands and I ask them, okay, so when you ask me how much time do you have to invest into this course, do you go back home and you ask your wife, your husband or whatever, how much time do you have to spend with your kids? 
or sport or do you like play video games? Do you go home and ask your friends how much time do you have to spend, uh, you know, playing video games? No, I mean, you do it and you spend as much time as you can because you are passionate about this. You are having fun. You are enjoying it. You know, so this is the same. A lot of people think that you have to be a nerd, that you have a spe to be a special person to work in IT or in any other job. And the real answer is that you have to be passionate in order to go and research and find new things and find new problems and try to solve them. And it's a very creative process if you think about it because you have to be creative to solve issues. And, and if you do so, you are your value is much higher than someone who just, you know, writes a few letters on your keyboard and that's it. So um, for me, that's, that's the key to success, to be passionate about what you, what you want to do. So that I appreciate very much. I think passion and, and want the want and desire to do something in a certain field matters rather than uh, doing it because it's just going to generate income. Sure, we, we all go through a stage in our lives where you have to do something because you need income. But to get a career rather than a job you need to believe in it, have that passion. Um, in, in many countries I've been to historically, you would go and see uh, wait staff in a restaurant and it was just a job. Yet you go to parts of Italy and Spain, I mean, from a European perspective, acknowledge, I'll acknowledge that, uh, but you go to parts of Spain and Italy and particularly France and the pride in in it being a career and something that you can really make something special of. It doesn't matter what the sector is. It's that, it's that passion that's really hard to, you can't fake passion. That's something you cannot fake. One of the things I want to ask you about, um, obviously face-to-face -face learning is very difficult at these times. Schools, universities, and colleges are uh, are facing this as a challenge. Now, what to do next? Um, some are facing um, uh, uh, criticism that they're not identifying how to deliver programming as as an online program or remote or distance learning, and they're not really getting their heads around that. Because we don't know what the steps are going forwards, uh, from your perspective, how did you live a, how do you deliver your programming, and how do you think the education sector needs to uh, adopt the ways of uh, online learning and online testing? Um, yeah, I mean, we have always delivered our courses in person because the impact that you have is way, way bigger. I mean, you can look at the other person in their eyes and, and understand uh, if they are following you, if they are completely lost, if they need help. Um, I mean, this is a social work, so you are dealing with people who are anxious to, to start their career. They, they need to get that job. Not, all, not only they are passionate about it, they, they really need it. So whenever you're in person, you have that human thing of you know being able to help the person in need uh when you're online usually the commitment is lower because people just i mean i don't want to talk to you anymore just disconnect and you will never hear back from me anymore you know you will never see me again uh, and so commitment is usually lower when you're 
online because I mean the dropout barrier is inexistent. However, uh, the one thing when when I was thinking about what should we do, I mean the first courses during the year when we started in person and then moved to online, then we finished the courses, and then I was like, should we wait until this fades off, you know, until this disappears? And then I was at home saying, you know what, like it's better something than nothing. And there are people who are writing us every single week asking us when the next course is going to be. In Saskatoon, all the time we receive emails every week. Like when we announce the course in Regina, we are receiving no less than 10 messages saying, okay, what about Saskatoon? And I was like, well, I mean, we are still running the first one. We are going <laughs> to let me finish and then we are going to start, <laughs> you know, planning everything. And so I decided to start these new online courses until... Uh, restrictions are lifted so that we can move into a classroom and and that's why we are when we open a course in Regina we are not taking people from Saskatoon because I told them whenever we are allowed to go to a classroom we will go to a classroom and you won't be in the same city so we are still running our courses per city and and the thing is we we started changing many things like I, I have other people working with me and I told them contact people uh, over chat call them try to have that human link uh, with them so that this is not just the teacher talking uh, over whatever tool you decide to use. Uh, we, we need to be closer to the people. Uh, and that was probably the key. We have started one course and usually the first two or three weeks, many people drop out because they, it's a big shock. And then people just decide that it's not for them after three, four classes. So far they are hanging in there. So, uh, and we, I've been trying to uh, be more approachable to them in terms of uh, talking with them over Slack, over uh, different tools so that they know that it's not the same whether they connect or not. It's not the same. Uh, like there, are, there is someone who cares if they actually make it or not. You know? uh, and that's a challenge uh, because, well, digital tools, online tools, uh, help to be able to communicate, but it's really difficult to get that human touch. So that's probably the main challenge. And it's the same challenge for many companies, for many businesses, you know, because they they are used to relating to their clients uh, and now they can't. It's everything happens by email or by a website or whatever, and, and you don't have that human interaction and it gets more difficult. And we are being alienated in some way by the current COVID situation. Yeah, the distance and isolation certainly doesn't make it particularly easy, but uh, maintaining good, clear channels for communication, and, and I'd imagine listening is uh, a very important uh, thing. On, uh, on what you do, there's a focus not only on learning the facts and the, the skills when it comes to the technology side but you're also you also have an element which is preparing people for the the labor market why why did you decide to go to that next step of going okay here's not only the skills for the it side but here's the prep for getting you into work uh because that's the other part that i've learned is that many people think that working in it is just sitting in front of a computer and and coding or working on networking or whatever and you're on your own and so many people were actually failing at going to an HR interview. You know, they, they can't properly talk 
to recruiters or to other people, uh, you know, uh, it's like, I'm shy, so uh, I won't talk, uh, but I, I have all the technical skills. And over the years, after hearing hundreds of recruiters from 25 cities that I've run courses on, uh, many of the recruiters, or if not all of them, talk about for entry-level positions and senior positions or whatever, they talk about the cultural fit. They want to know the person. They want to know that they are the right people to be part of their group, of, of their team, you know? And so if you go to an interview and you're not able to even say a word or if you're not even able to share something about your life, you know, uh, I want to know, like, if I'm hiring you to be part of my team, I want to know that I'm going to have a good time working with you. You know, I, I want to know that we're not going to party, but we are going to, you know, talk about uh, what beverages you like, what you did uh, during the weekend, you know, and, and so people need to be able to, to do that. And um, one, one example that I always give them is that I'm actually a very introvert person, but I've learned how to play this game. And it takes me probably a lot of energy to, to show that I can actually be at an interview, that I can um, or that I can talk with others or that I can manage 50 people in a team or whatever. But I learned how to use my energy to be, at least for a few minutes, something that I'm not naturally, you know, that person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a fantastic program. Uh, people can find out more information at comit.org. Uh, com That's C-O-M-I-T dot O-R-G. Uh, Pablo Listengard, founder and executive director of ComIT. Thank you so much for joining us here on Startupville. Thank you so much, Dan, and thank you, Mike, as well. Thank you. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at WeTellYourStories.ca. The show is produced by me, Mike Wolsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com startupville, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at StartupVillePod. See you next time on Startupville.